Welcome to Power Surge. I'm Alex Epstein coming at you from Orange County, uh, joined by Stefan Hen in Germany. Stefan, welcome. Hello, everyone. Well, I, I emphasize Orange County because we're going to talk about a story um, about President Obama speaking at our local University of California, Irvine, where he uh, analogizes those of us who, who uh, suggest that we should not massively slash our energy supply in the name of avoiding uh, the prediction of catastrophic warming as believing the moon is made of cheese. But we will get to that in a minute. All right, so we had two stories today that are related. I'll have Stefan summarize them. Basically, the idea that um, coal has been growing in world energy markets and oil has been growing uh, in the U.S. Uh, Stefan, can you elaborate? Um, yeah, so there's a new energy outlook by BP, and um, it essentially says that coal has dominated world energy markets in 2013, um, and it has the biggest supply share since the, 19, the year 1970. And um, yeah, the consumption of coal grew 3% last year, and which makes it the fastest growing source of energy in the world. The other story is about oil demand in the United States that grew um, at the fastest pace in the world in 2013 and even outstrip China for the first time since 1999. And uh, the annual rise in production for a second year in a row was at 1.1 billion barrels per day. All right. So let's just – the way I see it is um, what we have going on is that there's – Coal is on the rise. Oil is on the rise. So these are these are still this, this idea that these are the energy technologies of the past, energy sources of the past, is just a wrong idea. And so people are improving their lives using this. This could be relevant to Obama's cheese speech. And at the same time, we have a story about how in India you have plants. Uh, running out of coal, and I think last week we covered a story. I forget if we covered it, but uh, I think we did. There was a story just about how there are certain infrastructure problems that they're trying to solve in terms of making sure their plants have coal. So they are then an instance of a place where you you need um, the the infrastructure for doing this in many places is lacking. And what, what this means is that it's very very important for people around the world that we be able to go full steam ahead on using the best energy technology. So places like India need to build more energy infrastructure. And the enemy of that is if you have the idea that our best energy sources are immoral and that you shouldn't even be able to consider talking about them. So um, this goes to uh, the issue of um, President Obama's speech at the University of California, Irvine. Uh, Stefan, what was your favorite quote from that speech? The biggest, most provoking, I think, was um, this quote. It's pretty rare that you'll encounter somebody who says the problem you're trying to solve simply doesn't exist. When President Kennedy set us on a course to the moon, there were a number of people who made, serious, who made a serious case that it wouldn't be worth it. And then he continues, but nobody ignored the science. I don't remember anybody saying the moon wasn't there or that it was made of cheese. Well, that is, of course, referring to uh, climate skeptics, so-called. 
that are not uh, either not agreeing that uh, humans are the dominant factor in driving the Earth's climate, or the other group that doesn't agree that cutting fossil fuels is the right answer to that. Yeah, it's it's interesting how just well adamant is, is too weak a word i'd say how rude or how insulting he is becoming and how he increasingly tries to just distort the nature of the quote problem that's trying to be solved I and mean, ultimately the problem should be what actions uh, will most benefit human life and that requires looking at with this issue what's the actual evidence and what's the evidence that co2 emissions uh, are doing any kind of net harm, but also what are, what's the evidence that they're doing net benefit? I mean, he hasn't even, it never addresses the issue of what I call the fertilizer effect, which is just that CO2 is plant food. And in study after study after study, it's been shown that higher concentrations of CO2 in the atmosphere lead to more plant growth, lead to more crop growth. Uh, and it's very possible that, that, that those would go down if we significantly decreased CO2 emissions. That wouldn't be the primary thing. The primary thing would be you'd have a lot less energy and you couldn't use nearly as many machines. But um, his method of approaching this is just uh, completely uh, corrupt. He's not, he's not approaching it as you would approach a real problem. His only focus is on nobody else. Everyone says there, there are a bunch of idiots who say there's no problem whatsoever which is a complete misrepresentation of their position. He doesn't even feel any need to prove that there's a problem. And then all of this is to justify his massively destructive actions, which ultimately you know, aspire to 80% global reduction of fossil fuel use. So it's by, by focusing, by, by, um, by caricaturing the opposition as saying, everything's perfect, there's no problem of any magnitude he then is justifying himself to do this destructive action of, of infinite magnitude almost, in part because he, he does not uh, look at it. He refuses to look at it in a big picture way, cons uh, considering all of the potential positives and negatives. He just considers the potential negatives. And so he's completely missing this story. Now, there's one more set. There's a couple of, of reports today of X place is using more renewable energy than it used to. At, you know, there's a discussion of this in Brazil with, um, you know, a soccer stadium, and then with Wisconsin with allegedly meeting 10% of its renewable goal, and then an increase in the world. And when people see this, I think what they see is it's they think of it as something like, oh wow, the you know the iPod came out. At first, it must have had zero percent market share, but then grad then it, it started ramping up because people saw that the iPod was superior and the renewable energies like the iPod and it's just a matter of of getting uh, more and ramping up and there's and I think it's it's you have to view it in a completely different way I'd say a much better analogy I mean that is the worst imaginable analogy uh, because the iPod was not subsidized uh, for one uh, the, I think a better analogy when I see it I think of hey we instead last year five percent of our people were on welfare but this year 10% are. We managed to we managed to ramp it up to 10%. Next year hopefully we'll get 15 and then you know the ideal is everyone will be on food stamps and assistance. You know that's our goal or at least 80% of the population will be on on food stamps because these aren't 
really productive sources of energy. They're parasitical sources of energy that can only exist, um, you know, that can only exist in conjunction with reliable sources of energy like coal and oil and natural gas. And that's why I said at one of these uh, rallies, these environmentalist rallies once, I told the guy that, you know, there's no solar, there's just coal solar or gas solar. And that, that really is true. So it's not, it is not at all a good thing that these things are being ramped up because we are, we are subsidizing them and there's something that simply does not scale. It, to the extent they scale, it costs a lot of money. And then at a certain uh, stage, you start wrecking your grid. In a certain stage, it just doesn't work at all. So to be, and that's similar with number of people on welfare. So it, it really is welfare energy or I often call it unreliable energy, junk energy. But this whole obsession with renewable energy is is really uh, the wrong wrong way to think of it and it's it's i think it's pretty bad in part because it's not even focused on the issue of no co2 emissions it's not focused on hydro it's not focused on uh nuclear i mean even they exclude hydro from renewable even though it's you know using just water sources um and it's because it's it's this the whole focus is on what sources of energy do environmentalists currently consider natural and good, and they consider the worst ones um, that way. So it just amounts, but the public just absorbs it. So it's, it'd be much different even if it were something like clean, where you would include nuclear and and pursue that. But it's it's really just this idea of let's let's get a repetitive source of energy that comes from the sun and let's be natural, no matter how bad that is. And let's regard it as progress to use more and more, even though that just makes life more um, expensive. Uh, Stefan, any any thoughts on that? Yes, if you want to uh, see uh, Obama science expertise at work, uh, you can just look up what his science advisor, um, John Holdren, said about the polar vortex and compare that to what the science says. You know, the polar vortex last winter, and he made some White House video that they know distance themselves from about the cause and effect of that. Well, you'll have to, you have to, you have to explain that because I, I don't think anyone has that video at the ready. So what, what, what did he say? I mean, I, rem I remember. But. Um, I, I don't actually remember all the details right now, but um, it has been an interesting discussion in some circles where he... Um, he made the connection between, um, you know, ice melting, I think, in the Arctic and um, the extension of the polar vortex and the positioning above America this winter. And um, it didn't turn out to be connected that way. I mean, what, how, how much of it was the issue that he's trying to connect the polar vortex with warming? Um, yeah, I mean... The goal of all these explanations, of course, is always to make some, you know, to connect human actions to warming and then some warming to some negative outcome. So even the extreme freezing cold polar vortex needs to be connected somehow to human-induced global warming. Yeah, and I think it's, it's it, there's Holdren's issue, which is also predicting a billion CO2 emission-based deaths due to starvation by the year 2020. So we're, you know, uh, what, six and a half years away from that, five and a half years away from that. 
but the just the comfort with which they uh, the United States government will come out with an official per, you know account of something like polar vortex, which is hard to understand, and which it will just cavalierly connect this to its its political goals. I mean that's government involvement in science is a huge problem in the first place, and and this is just an illustration of how how bad uh, it can get. And you know if, if you want to talk about something that something something closer to the moon is made of cheese, it's much more um, cold is caused by warming. Like that's uh, Stephen Goddard, the guy who has this interesting website where he, he is just constantly finding old news articles where people claim this same kind of things they do today or showing old weather disasters that would today be blamed on global warming. He had some line, I don't remember the exact line, but it was, it was you know, scientists used to believe that uh, cold was caused by the absence of heat, but now they've learned that it's caused by more heat. Yeah. Um, all right, let's see. Um, any final comments, Stefan? Um, no, I just think that uh, you can see clearly that the rest of the world is not playing the same games that many Western countries do now with uh, solar and wind and other quote-unquote alternative energy sources. And for good reason, they will face uh, real dead bodies, not invented ones, if they do not continue to develop. Yeah, although they are, I mean, we see with the story in Brazil, uh, I mean, that's a more, much more developed country, obviously, but, you know, in China, making certain commitments to using more, and you see people paying lip service, but if you want to go back to the issue of who's acknowledging the problem and whatnot, these actions are not, they're not, these actions are all lip service and symbolic. They're not, they're not trying to solve the problem on the level that even the problem is defined by the UN, and it's it's really corrupt because because they're acknowledging it reminds me a bit of what many oil companies do actually where they acknowledge hey yeah we need to we need to they they sanction this idea of radical restrictions of fossil fuel use and then they say but but for right now we're just going to have a little target so we'll just build a, a solar farm and we'll be doing our corporate responsibility and ignore the fact that we're using a lot more and uh, fossil fuel energy, and that's that's what happens with a lot of these countries, and people are being opportunistic because they feel like, oh, well, we can get past the greens another day, but you know, somebody has to say that, you know, we actually have a right to use more energy, and and it's wrong to have this plan that we should use less, not just oh, I'm going to give it to my successor who's going to have to deal with all this welfare energy and higher energy costs and have this much larger obligation to. Uh, restrict energy. Now, you know, hopefully, then people won't accept the fight against it more, but be much better to fight against it more now and to fight much harder for more uh, energy now. Because even when you make these symbolic commitments, I think almost inevitably your, your eye is off the ball in terms of actual sources of cheap, plentiful, uh, reliable energy, and particularly when it's politicians who don't care so much about, don't have this idea that, well, every bit of growth matters. You know, for them, it, it can be easy to say, well, let's focus on putting more solar panels on a soccer stadium. All right. And with that, we have reached our 15-minute mark. So hopefully you guys uh, enjoyed it. Any questions or comments? 
uh, feel free to email me at alex at industrialprogress.net and we will talk to you soon. Uh, Stefan, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Okay, thank you, Bob. Uh, this is Alex Upstone and Stefan Hen following up. Uh, we realized that there was one uh, mistake that we made during the podcast. I want to correct it now. Stefan, what was the mistake? Um, yeah, I made a comment saying that uh, in the White House video about the polar vortex uh, earlier this year, um, science advisor John Holdren uh, said that um, the polar vortex was caused by Arctic ice melting. Um, and that's wrong. He connected uh, the polar vortex to uh, a decreasing temperature gradient between the mid-latitudes and northern latitudes uh, due to a process called polar amplification, which means that the poles of this planet um, warm slightly, at a slightly faster rate than the tropics. Um, and he was still wrong on that, but you know, the facts should be corrected. Okay, so we we got wrong which uh, false attribution he was using, but that, that is important. So uh, hopefully the White House will start issuing similar corrections for its statements, so we just wanted everyone to get that for the record. All right, everyone, have a good day.